and good afternoon, everyone. It's really awesome seeing you guys. It's awesome feeling your presence online as well. Um, so, so grateful to be here. Um, so grateful to see faces of, of family, of, of people that I love, um, especially in the midst of what's been happening this week and, and just being able to, to be with people. Um, and so it's nice to be here. So did you guys know that the heart pumps about 2,000 gallons of blood a day? And so that's equivalent to about 32,000 cups of liquid. And our heart beats at about 115,000, or beats about 115,000 times a day. And so not only is our heart physically amazing, Mark 7, our chapter today, talks about how healing and restorative the heart can be when it is close to God. Jesus starts our chapter today with a teaching. Jesus teaches about what truly makes someone clean and unclean. He teaches that a focus on looking good outwardly without a God experience of the heart inside is what defiles you. He teaches that a heart far from God can make someone clean or unclean. He teaches that a heart far from God can lead to evil behaviors and evil thoughts. That's what defiles. And so after he teaches, we see that Jesus models what can happen if it's flipped around, if the opposite happens, when a heart is close to God. He shows that a heart close to God can bring about so much healing, so much restoration, so much peace. And so as we read in chapter 7, we read that he heals a demon-possessed girl through the faithful plea of her mother, and also he heals a deaf and mute man. And so that rounds up chapter 7, and I'm going to attempt to run through a lot of it, or all of it today, and, and if I talk fast, you'll know why, because I just really felt led to, that this whole chapter was what we needed to hear today. And so we see that as Jesus heals, um, just one thing to know, he doesn't just heal physically. He also restores people's ability to have community with others. Thus, he heals them socially. And so let's dive in. Verses 1 to 23, I'm just going to read that to you. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of the disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders that when they come even from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as washing of cups, kettles, pitchers, and so the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And that is the crux of our, our message state. Their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules, and you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continues, you have a fine way 
And I love his sarcasm here. You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. And for Moses said, honor your mother and father, one of the, the commandments, the Ten Commandments. And anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their mother or father is Corbin, in brackets, that is, devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their mother or father. And thus, even in this, you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many things like that. And I love that here. It's, this isn't the only example. And so again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, the disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull? He asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from outside can defile them? And for it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, and then out the body. So we get a little bit of a biology lesson here, too. And so in saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them, for, is one, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All of these evils come from inside and defile a person. And so in this lengthy section here, um, Jesus is teaching about what makes somebody clean or unclean. In the first few verses, give us a background, give us some background information about the traditions of the elders. It tells us that they eat only after a ceremonial washing of hands, but not only of hands, of all of the utensils, the pitchers, the kettles, the bowls. And the reason they adhere to this so religiously is because they believe that things, or we can actually even extend it to people, that their belief is that things or people outside the Jewish realm are unclean. And so in order not to be contaminated by those outside of God's blessing, people wash their hands and eating equipment before consuming anything that entered them. And this probably sounds a bit familiar in our day and age with COVID. Um, we have lots of barriers like masks and cleaning rituals. We might, I know I've had certain cleaning rituals in the past few years. We've done a lot of cleaning, sanitizing, um, and so we do this in efforts to keep germs out, to keep us from getting COVID. The Pharisees and scribes take it a notch further, though, and believe that it's not just germs that contaminate, but that people, especially Gentiles, can contaminate them. And so this sets the scene, as the passage tells us in Mark 7, verse 5, where the Pharisees notice right away that the disciples eat with defiled hands, and they ask Jesus why. The Pharisees, who have seemingly been absent in the last few chapters, are back, and they're ready to pounce more than ever. So by questioning Jesus, they imply that, they, that not only the disciples are disobeying God by not following his command of washing, they imply Jesus is also not following this command. And so Jesus then replies back by calling them hypocrites, quoting Isaiah 29, 13, that the Pharisees honor God with their lips, but their hearts are far from God. And this is the crux of why Jesus is so angry. It's because their hearts are far from God 
And it's because they've let go of God's commands, but instead hold on to human traditions. And so on the outside, the people do everything they can to look great, but on the inside, they're anything but. Jesus goes on in verses 9 to 13 to give an example of this hypocrisy. He says the Pharisees follow God's commandment to honor your mother and your father. Yet they declare that what can help their parents, what can really aid them, and what can honor them is Corbin. And so I'm going to take a moment here to talk about Corbin, and um, not just because it's my son's name, but it's a type, um, it's a type of vow, a human vow that people took in the day. To declare that something's Corbin means you have dedicated it. You've set it aside and dedicated it to the temple or to God. And when you do that, that means it's exclusively for God. And so it can be anything. It can be your money, your food, your property, anything that could even bless someone like your mother and father. And so it, you can dedicate any of your resources um, and declare it Corbin. And so what Jesus is angry about is that there's this commandment to honor your mother and father, but yet they hold to this human vow of Corbin, saying, basically nullifying that anything that's dedicated to God, their mother and father can't use. They can't be blessed by that. And so Jesus is angry because now human tradition, a human vow, takes over God's commandment to honor your mother and father. And so that's why he says the Pharisees have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. And so it's really neat here to, to note the progression of the Pharisees from abandoning the commandment of God, verse 8, to rejecting the commandment of God in verse 9, and then to finally make void God's commandment, verse 13, as it tells us that you have nullified God's commandment by placing your own traditions ahead of his. And so he's saying here that food and the heart are unrelated. Therefore, it's not food or unclean hands or utensils that defile the body. And so adhering to these laws and following them to a T doesn't make you clean. Being clean or unclean comes with, from within. It's what's in your heart. And hence, that's why Jesus stresses the hypocrisy of those who only focus on the outward while letting their hearts be far from God. They're going through the motions without an experience of the heart. And we know back in the day, in ancient times, the heart was seen as the center of one's personality and character. It was a huge um, center of one's, it de defined people's thoughts, behaviors. It was really seen as a huge, important part of one's character and their personality. And so Jesus, that's why it's so important. He spends so much time teaching Verses 20 to 23, as we've read already, tells us that it's what comes out of a person is what defiles them. And so it's from within, out of a person's heart, that these evil thoughts come. And there's that list there of a lot. Um, and so it's important to remember here, though, even though he is so harsh, that it's important to remember that Jesus isn't saying the law is bad or the commandments are bad. He's not building a case to reject them. But what he does warn against is how the Pharisees are using the law as a substitute for a real experience with God. Or worse yet, when this law becomes a way to divide you from others, when legalism kicks in, that's what Jesus calls unclean and defiling. And so it's this balance. When this law overtakes God's, that's what's defiling. 
And Ken Brower puts it this way, um, way better. He says, the truly holy people of God are people who are on the mission of God. And that requires a heart that is set on the direction of God's purposes and considers holiness to be contagious. And so I'm gonna read that one more time. The truly holy people of God are on the mission of God. And that requires a heart that is set on the direction of God's purposes and considers holiness to be contagious. And so we have this word of holiness here and the holy people of God. And it's really important to remember for us that in the Hellenistic or the um, Greek society version of holiness, it meant perfection. It meant being perfect, doing everything right, feeling everything right. But here, as Kent describes it, it's good to be reminded that holiness is how your heart is set on God's purposes, how connected you are to God. That's what makes you holy. His holiness rubs off on us. That's why we can be called the holy people of God. And that's just super amazing. I love that. And so we see from this teaching, Jesus goes on in the later part of chapter 7, verses 24 to 30, to model what can truly happen when your heart is close to God. What happens when your heart is the opposite of being far from God? And so we see in chapter 7, verses 24 to 30, that Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it. Yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive out the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And then he told her, for such a reply you may go. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. And so a few things in this passage here. Um, the region of Tyre that's mentioned in verse 24 is important. It's because Tyre is Gentile territory. And Jesus is modeling what he just taught, that he is spreading his holiness, a heart close to God to everyone, even the Gentiles, who were seen as unclean. He's making a point here. And so additionally, Syrians and Phoenicians have not traditionally been the nicest neighbors to the Jewish people. Jesus is venturing into hostile Gentile territory to make a point that everyone needs the healing and restoration that comes from God's heart through Jesus. And so Jesus is entering a house hoping to be alone. The disciples aren't with him and this woman approaches him. And in doing so, this woman herself crosses all sorts of boundaries to be able to talk to Jesus. And it's because she has this love for her daughter who is hurting. And so she crosses first the gender barrier. We know in those days, men and women would not be in conversation alone together. Culturally, she's a Syrophoenician, which not only means that she's a Gentile, but she's also a descendant of people who were traditionally enemies of Israel. And in history, the Syrophoenicians oppressed Israel. And so this mention of conflict between nations, I can't help but think about this past week 
the events in Russia and Ukraine, between Russia and Ukraine. And it's no doubt that our hearts have been troubled, frustrated, or perhaps even angry at what's happening. Our hearts have probably felt sadness, pain, pain for those families, pain for people uprooted. And there's just so much emotion. We have been b bombarded in our brains and our, in our hearts with images, with sounds, with words as we take this all in, as we take in what's happening to our fellow humans. And we will have a chance as we pause here. I invite us to really check in with our hearts and just really sense what we might be feeling about this conflict. We'll have a chance later to collectively pray as a way to show just our, our, how we're able to pray for our brothers and sisters who are suffering. And so let us continue to see what's in our hearts as we still our hearts later to be praying for them. And going back to this woman and daughter, her daughter is demon-possessed, and that means she would ex have exhibited antisocial behavior. And so this woman approaching Jesus just would have come from a place of just isolation. She would have come from a place of being an outcast. She would have been fearful that she would have been rejected. And so all of these things work against her, yet she still approaches Jesus. She approaches him to heal her daughter. And we see, even though this woman takes all of this courage to approach him, Jesus replies oddly by saying to let the children eat first, and it's not right to toss their food to the dogs. And so I should address another elephant in the room, or should I say the dog in the room? And, uh, and so last time, if you remember in Mark 5, I had, to address, I had to address the pigs in the room when Jesus sent the evil spirits into the pigs. And so it's kind of neat that there's this recurring theme. And uh, I actually, it's kind of neat, Karina and John were saying that Lucy's in the car actually right now, their dog. And I was tempted to bring her in as an illustration, um, but I'm just scared. I, I, don't, I don't know who's allergic to dogs or maybe not a dog person, but I was tempted. <laughs> And so the, when I address the dog in the room, um, dogs in the day of ancient times, as you guys may know, were not seen as fluffy, cute pets um, like they are now. And uh, so, yeah, that's a picture of Morgan, obviously a very cute, fluffy dog. Um, and we miss her dearly, but we take every opportunity to look at her pictures, and hence, any time that I can possibly show her, I will. <laughs> And so dogs weren't seen as these fluffy, amazing pets. They were seen mostly as feral, savage animals, quite the opposite. They were seen as wild and just nowhere, you, do, you didn't want to be near them. And in ancient times, Gentiles were often referred to as dogs. And so this would lead some commentaries to equate the children um, in the passage as the Jewish people and the Gentiles as the dogs. And so I have to admit, though, I struggled with this passage. Why would Jesus say what he does? It seems kind of uncharacteristic of him. I almost didn't want to include this passage in this message today because I wasn't sure I'd have a tidy enough answer for us or a conclusion as to why Jesus would say this. I've read commentaries. Some say that Jesus could be using his harsh statement as a test for the women's faith. 
Some say that perhaps his humanity is showing. He's tired. He's hoping to be alone in this house, and yet he's approached by a woman who needs help. It's an interruption to his solitude. And perhaps Jesus is reacting in anger to the people who have oppressed Israel. I don't have a conclusion. I know there's lots of various opinions. And it was very tempting to bypass this. Um, and just on a personal note, it just, it was tempting because some of you know I've expressed um, just my struggle with insecurity and feeling voiceless as I shared last time as well. And so this, and admitting I didn't really know why Jesus said this and not having an answer, just added to that. And so it was really tempting to just skip this part. But God, in my time with him, asked me, and I heard him very clearly say, is there something still in this passage, even though you might not understand all of what's happening, is there something still in this passage? And hence, you know the answer because I've brought it up and we're talking about it. So yes, there is something. And the first is that this great faith that we can see in this woman, the great faith that comes out by asking Jesus to heal her daughter. And so if Jesus is calling her a dog because she's a gentle, let's say that's it. It doesn't faze her. She begins, she begins her rebuttal by saying, Lord. She acknowledges he is Lord. And she steps right into Jesus' line of conversation by working with him. She engages in his words by saying that even the dogs get some crumbs that fall from the children's food. And then by saying this, she's saying that there's more than enough food. There's more than enough love and healing and restoration to go around to both the children and the dogs. And she goes even as far as to say that God's love and restoration is so great, so abundant, that even a crumb would be enough for her, that would be enough for her daughter. And so this, when I realized this, when I really tried to step into how this, this mom is feeling, it just really um, helped me on a heart level to understand that there's still value in a passage and it's okay to not fully get why certain things happen or why Jesus says certain things. And so Jesus sees this woman and tells her that because of her reply to go, and the demon has left her daughter. And now notice the woman doesn't respond with, well, Jesus, could you just still come with me in case, in case the demon hasn't left her? Because you haven't actually seen her. You haven't actually like touched her or done your thing or whatever you do. Like, can you just come anyway with me? No, the passage tells us that she goes home. She does what he says and finds that the demon has left her daughter. And so this, even though it was easy to bypass this passage, I can see now that if we didn't spend a bit of time in it today, that I would have missed out on an experience in my heart of just connecting with this woman and just how her faith was to approach Jesus in the way that she did. And so we can see in this passage that Jesus uses the love and healing that comes from a heart close to God to restore this girl to cast the demon out. And so he heals her physically, but what's more, now this woman and daughter can have community again. People aren't afraid of them. He restores them physically and socially. And as we head on, as we read on in verses 31 to 37, 
there's another healing narrative. And this one's neat because it only happens or appears in Mark. And it's similar also to the healing of the blind man in chapter 8 of Mark at Bethsaida. You guys might be familiar with that. And there are only three healing stories. What's also interesting about this one is that there are only three healing stories where Jesus uses his spit, or they call spittle. What a funny word, hey, spittle. (laughs) And so two of them happen in Mark, Mark 7 and 8, and then also John 9. Verses 31 to 37 tell us that Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee, and into the region of the Decapolis. There, some people brought to him a man who was deaf, and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. After they took him aside, or after he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven with a deep sigh and said to him, Epatha, which means be opened. And at this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, But the more that he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. And this is another connection to Isaiah. The first part of our chapter 7 connected to Isaiah 29. And this connects to Isaiah 35, verses 5 to 6, where it says, The eyes of the blind will be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer, and the mute tongue will shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. And so what is really cool is that Jesus took this man aside and healed him when it was just the two of them, one-on-one. He took him away from the crowd because he shows the man that he matters and understands how important it is for this man to experience true relationship, that someone is taking the time to open his ears and loosen his tongue. Jesus understands this man has been probably become fairly passive in his life because of him being deaf and because of him being unable to speak well. Jesus understands this about his experience. And so we see in this healing that Jesus not only physically heals, he's also interested in this person's heart and mind. Jesus wants this man to know that his whole being is loved. And so it's really neat here that Jesus uses spit, what's from inside him, to heal and to restore. It's really neat that after a teaching of what comes from outside you can defile you, he shows the opposite. He's using his spit, what comes from in you, to heal, to restore, to reconcile. And so that is encouraging because it shows us we can heal and restore and be an encouraging word for someone when we can, and we can bring peace to someone through praying over them, what God tells us in our hearts. It shows us that when we have our hearts in the right place, God will show us how we can bring healing and love to others. And so instead of what comes out of our hearts as defiling, we can bring healing And so he may even call us to heal someone with our spittle. But maybe in today's age with COVID, he probably won't. (laughs) But you see the point. Our holiness that comes from a heart set on God's good purposes can be a powerful healing agent for those around us. And so speaking of saliva, 
There's a picture up um, of some bird's nests. And these are made with the saliva of a bird called a swiftlet. And these are a delicacy in Chinese culture. And they're often used to make soup because the soup benefits the body in lots of ways. One of these bird's nests contains about 50% of proteins that aid in cell regeneration and muscle repair. And these proteins also boost the production of disease-fighting cells, which increases the body's immunity. However, the most common type of bird's nest runs between five to $6,000 per kilogram. And even, that's not even like the most expensive, the most rare Swiftlet's bird's nest can cost up to $10,000 a kilogram. And so that got me thinking, if a certain bird's saliva is worth that much, imagine if what Jesus' saliva might be worth. <laughs> and so that aside, what does all of this mean for us today? As Jesus taught about us being clean, unclean, what comes from within us can defile us, but also bring healing as he modeled as we look at how he taught and how he acted, how he, what he said and how he modeled it, what does that mean for us today? It, just, it shows us what a heart close to God can accomplish, a heart that's set on God's purposes and the goodness that can outflow from our lives as we continue to set our hearts on God. And I've seen so much, and this, this message today, I hope, isn't, um, it's just more of an encouragement because I have seen, learning so much of your stories, the goodness of your hearts and the outpouring of your lives as you continue to be devoted in your hearts to God. And so this is more just as a message to show and encourage us that we can continue being agents of healing, agents of restoration through our words, through how we act, and it can be to people we know, and God will call us to heal people we don't know. And it's this prompting uh, that God tells us, even if we think it might be crazy. I had a, an opportunity to spend some time with Evelyn and some of the ladies this week, and they were talking about how sometimes when God prompts us, it might seem a little bit crazy, but there's, it's really cool when we see how it might come all together. And so that's the implication for us. Um, today, as we look at Jesus, as we look at his life and just how his heart was close to God and how much that benefited those around him, as we continue our journey of our hearts being close to God, what's, what's something this week that we can connect closer with in our hearts to God? What's one thing? It doesn't have to be a huge thing. Perhaps it's just using a feeling word more often as we read a passage. How do we feel about that? We know what we know about it, what we think about it, but let's explore how we feel about the passage. Because we know that when the word connects our brain and our hearts, that's where transformation takes place. And so that can be an implication. And so I just encourage us as we continue to look at our hearts, one way we can respond is to be praying. And so earlier I mentioned that we would have some time to pray for um, our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine and also Russia. And so as we still our hearts, let's consider what they might be feeling, what they might be experiencing. And some of us, we might not know what to pray. I know at times I've been at a loss as I sat down of what, what to pray. But we know the Spirit can teach us and show us. Romans 8 tells us that. And so God knows our hearts. 
So let's take this some time this afternoon to reflect on our hearts. And then as we reflect um, with those around you, as you feel comfortable, just form some groups and spend some time praying, praying for what's happening in Eastern Europe. And I know it, and, and for a while we might be wordless and that's okay, but we can collectively as a community just be still together listening to God. And so as we head, um, as we reflect, I'm going to read us a prayer that's from the archbishops. And uh, after I read this, we can break off into some groups with those around you. So God of peace and justice, we pray for the people of Ukraine today. We pray for peace and the laying down of weapons. We pray for all those who fear for tomorrow, that your spirit of comfort would draw near to them. We pray for those with the power over war or peace, for wisdom, discernment, and compassion to guide their decisions. Above all, we pray for all your precious children at risk and in fear, that you would hold and protect them. And we pray in the name of Jesus, the Prince of Peace, God, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Amen. And I would encourage those um, online as well to pray with those around you. We can all collectively be praying.